Welcome to TJ Frog's podcast, where I chat about my knitting, dorset buttons and creativity in general, as well as sharing my love of Scotland, especially the Highlands and Islands. Hello, I'm Tanya, aka TJ Frog, or sometimes called the Button Lady. And in my creative business, I predominantly make and promote the traditional craft of dorset buttons, which dates back to the early 1600s, a cottage industry that employed many people in Dorset on the south coast of England. Brought up in Dorset, I now live on the Isle of Skye, and wherever you may be in the world, welcome and thank you for joining me for my 34th episode, Opening Up. Hello, welcome back. Yes, <laughs> I have managed to get another episode out just approximately a month after the last one. I'll be honest, it's a day later than I had uh, planned. This is still a good start though and uh, long may it continue. Thank you so much for all your support after the long-awaited last episode. It was good to get back to the podcast and enter into this space again. This episode then, the weather. It's certainly not been that warm here compared to this time last year, although we have had some beautiful, stunning weather and light. Creativity. It's time to plough through my neglected projects and also to talk about a different type of creativity I've been doing. Dorset buttons and wider news from the TJ Frog pad. I talk about the Spring Sky Willy Meander, Vogue Virtual Knitting Live and Unravel. Sky Focus. The local lowdown, I just touch on our new community shop and the Sky Showcase. I have an interview for you this episode, which is great. And the interview is with Bev, who is the owner of the Hand Spinner Having Fun in Broadford. The weather. I realised one day when we were out walking along the road here where we live that You know, when you've transitioned from winter to spring, when you've switched from wearing your heavy duty waterproof trousers for some lighter weight ones, still albeit waterproof, but certainly not as bulky. And after I last spoke to you with that unsettled weather period we were going through, it morphed into these stunning days of clear blue skies. Still, as I say, cold, especially compared to last year. And I had one of those, uh, you know, one year pop up photos on Facebook showing me sat in the garden in April last year, watching the hedgehogs move across the, the grass. We're still having some amazing days, as I said. And it was just the perfect weather for us when we went out to do recording to get video footage for the Spring Sky Willie Meander event that I organised. The roads were just totally empty for a start because it was prior to visitors still being able to come. And the air was so still and everywhere was just so peaceful. And it was a wonderful way to explore Sky. And we got to go and visit places that we haven't visited yet that have been on our list for far too long. It was interesting to see though, for example, when we went through Portree, there was this sense of things being prepared, getting ready to open once again. There was a spring in people's step. Places were getting a scrub down and a lick of paint. Signs were being put back out on the roadside after their unscheduled long break. There was just this 
sort of sense of um, purpose and movement and contractors out and about. And then combined with all this beautiful light and sunshine we were getting, it just felt like there was this acceptance of moving forward to the, the next stage of Sky opening up to receive visitors once again. We had to go to Inverness one day for an appointment and we had an incredible trip across from Sky to the East Coast. Firstly, it was a real adventure to head to the city after so long. In fact, the last time we went was in the winter, um, the end of last year, and it was a really dark, dank day. And here we were driving across the mainland, deserted roads, and we just had all this time to be immersed in the landscape and just really soak it all up. So we've been very, very fortunate uh, having this lovely spell of uh, clear air and light. Of course, it was never going to last. (laughs) But that period of stillness, emptiness, space, calmness about the island, I feel really privileged to have had that experience here. A couple of days ago, we had rain. Not an unusual occurrence, of course. (laughs) There was something about that rain, though, that brought back a childhood memory. And one of the things I love about rain is the sound it makes. And in our old house, we had a conservatory. And while you couldn't hold a conversation in there when it was raining heavily, I loved the intensity of the noise that it would make. This rain noise a couple of days ago stood out to me because it was heavy rain and steady. And it reminded me of being in primary school, coming to the end of the school day and going home time when there would just be this darkened light descending on the day and the rain would come in this constant, heavy, persistent downpour. Fortunately for me, we only lived opposite school, so I was never going to get too wet on the way home. I was trying to understand, though, what it was about this particular rain that brought back that memory. And I realised it was because there was no wind. And combined with the, the rate of the fall and the persistence of it, it just brought back this nostalgic feeling. Living where we do on our little bit of headland, I've talked about it a lot before. You know, there's always a breeze here. There's always some wind. So it's really noticeable when we don't have any breeze or wind. And that day really did bring back this this memory. And I wondered if you've ever suddenly, unexpectedly been whisked away to a distant memory from the weather. Here in the UK, it's Mental Health Awareness Week, where there's always an emphasis on generating conversations about mental health. This year, they have a theme, which is around nature, and how a connection with nature can be one of the ways in which we can improve our mental health. I had already jotted down I was going to talk about that nostalgic feeling with the rain and what I noticed about it before I realised that there was this association with Mental Health Awareness Week because what they're talking about with their theme of nature is taking time to notice, opening up ourselves to noticing different things with nature. That little tiny detail on a flower that we've not noticed before seeing the patterns that birds make as they fly through the sky, listening to the sounds of wildlife, taking in the smell from nature, that freshly cut grass, 
or the smell of grass after that rainfall, touching the bark on a tree, or seeing a frog swimming in water. All sorts of things about nature, but what exactly do we notice? One of the things I was reading about was how last year in lockdown, a lot of people were able to take more time out with nature, whether it be in their garden, whether it be walking down the road to the shop, seeing things for the first time that they'd not seen before, for whatever reason. Many years ago, we had a short break on the Gower Peninsula in Wales and we stayed on this uh, small holding. And I remember being woken up in the morning to the sound of the sheep and I absolutely loved it. And having always lived in villages and towns and cities and predominantly, you know, surrounded by other houses, never having sort of lived in the country before, I loved this and I think that's one of the pleasures that I get from living here on Sky. And I've popped into the show notes just a short clip of one of those sounds on Sky. It was actually taken on the 11th of May last year. However, I woke this morning to exactly the same sound. A year a year and two days on. It's the sheep, it's the birds, and I hope you get some pleasure listening to that nature. Talking of being one with nature and really noticing the elements around you, we managed a night away on the northwest coast at a place called Big Sands at Gairlock in our camper van. And it's a beautiful beach and really long sandy beaches are definitely my happy place. It was very, very chilly when we were there, just above freezing. And I went for this walk along the beach. You know when the air is just absolutely prickling your skin because it is so, so cold. But the sun was shining brilliantly. And in the distance, there was these kind of dark, menacing clouds. The sound of the water just gently lapping. Oh, I just uh, love, love, love that sort of space. It really is somewhere that I enjoy being. And when I came back, when I came back behind the sand dunes and got out of the, the wind, whew, it suddenly all oh, my skin was just really tingling so much, but it felt amazing. I mean, I was freezing cold, but it just felt so good. And May has also seen some snow here, which is the first time I've ever seen it at this time of year. All the lambs that have arrived, they're now in abundance out on the field and it's an absolute delight to see them. They have been greeted by both sunshine and snow. And the calves I mentioned last time, they're growing up really fast and they especially like sitting right by our garden fence and our gate into our garden. And they're just soak up the sunshine. It's lovely to watch them. They always make me smile. I haven't been able to get close enough, though, to get a good photo of them, which is a bit of a shame. Creativity. It is confession time and I'm starting to feel a little bit like I'm back when I started the podcast and outlined all the projects I had on the go at the time. I have had a a good sort out of what we might call whips or UFOs. In this household here, I refer to them as neglected projects, <laughs> NPs. <laughs> I've characterised, characterised? No, I've categorised, that's what I mean. <laughs> 
So the first category then is reached the focus stage. <laughs> first up are those sleeves on the Die Gilpin eyelay jacket. No progress there at all. Second up, another Die Gilpin project <laughs> is the Mori Star jumper, which I mentioned back in episode two. <sighs> oh, I can't believe I've just admitted that. Um, I've only done the rib border. It is a beautiful pattern, but it is full of cables and lace. Third up is the Gudrun Johnson Belmont cardigan from way back when. And that's still waiting for me to fathom out the lace pattern on one of the shoulders. And lastly is the Gansey from my Gansey course that I did with the Yasmin at Island at the Edge. So four projects there. They are all amazing garments. I think what they show, well, they certainly tell a story about me and my my knitting uh, strategy or profile or um, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, maybe you can think of think of a name. It tells me that I don't factor time in my life to do more complex patterns. When I reach for my knitting, it's usually when I'm tired, I'm winding down, or I'm watching TV, or I'm on a Zoom call. And these projects, certainly for me, are not TV or social knitting compatible. <laughs> so, so what do I reach for? I reach for a garter stitch or a simple stitch repeat shawl. And that generally tends to be my knitting pattern, for want of a better word. In order then to get these projects moving... I'm going to have to think about how I can build in time to do these type of projects that are more complex because I do want to finish them. So yeah, I've got a bit of thinking there and maybe a little bit of replanning how I do my knitting or my downtime, my my rest and leisure time that is my knitting for me. The next category, the barely started projects, something else more exciting came along. <laughs> I've got two projects in this category, two pairs of socks, and I'm going to frog them because I literally am just at the top of the rib. (laughs) They're not singing to me at all. So away, banished from my neglected pile. (laughs) Next up, this category is please finish me off. Firstly, there is the bag I talked about in my very first episode. Yeah, this confession time is hard for me. (laughs) It did get finished. The bag is totally finished. What it's not got is a lining. Now, it doesn't have to have a lining, but I would like it to have a lining. I have the fabric. It just needs to get done. Number two, I have a hat. It's the Lexi hat by Woolly Wormhead. And literally, it just needs the yarn drawn through the crown and it needs a couple of buttons to go on it and of course they've got to be dorset buttons so I need to make those and thirdly is Tegna by Caitlin Hunter that I started back in episode 22 and we're now on episode 34. Mm. (laughs) All of the stitches for this as well are on the stitch holder ready to do the sleeves and the neck. The only problem I can foresee is I can't find the pattern. I don't know what I've done with it. I always print off the pattern and usually keep the pattern in the project bag because I'm somebody who likes to write notes and physically tick off a row. I do, of course, have the digital pattern, so I can go to that, but I would just really like to know where that pattern's got to. (laughs) 
And then I have what I call workshop projects. And these are various odds and ends of projects started at workshops, retreats, and just never quite got finished. And I think that also says something about me as a knitter as well. It shows I'm very much about being in the moment, enjoying that stitch, enjoying that time, that connection with others, that learning experience, just that being and place. There's two of these that stand out, though, that I would like to get finished. The others I'm not so mindful to get finished because some of them are just like learning little techniques. So they're almost like little samples so that, you know, they they still serve a, a great purpose for me to refer to. But the two projects I want to focus on, one is from my trip to India in 2018, which was a cushion made up from squares um, designed by Jane Crowfoot. Although at the time I quite fancied making it into a bag, but I I need to go back and look at that and decide what to do. And then the other project were some Gansey squares that I started making after Di Gilpin's knitting retreat in Spain last year. So I've got three balls of Di's Laland wool and we had some Gansey square patterns that we were given and I'm just knitting up as many squares as I can out of that wool. And then I'm going to stitch them together to make a garment that's the the idea and then I have a project that sort of stands alone I haven't really got a name for this category and it's the tripartite by Stephen West which I only started during lockdown it's in lace weight though and I did finish it but it was just too small and I ended up frogging it it is a garter stitch project So it would be ideal to be the first one to get back working on and feel that I've achieved something. I've also got some cross-stitch and embroidery projects that I mentioned last time that I had found in a recent uh, move around. So yes, a few bits to be getting on with, although I think the reality is that that's not really going to happen for a while with all the other things I've got going on at the moment. Last time I also mentioned I started a jumper and a blanket The blanket is the 2017, yes, I know, (laughs) a few years ago, 2017 Debbie Abraham's Mystery Blanket. I previously have done four of Debbie's blankets, which are all finished. You know, they all have a place around the house. This one, for whatever reasons, I just didn't get started on it and it has just sat in the bag. And then some of the people in one of the knit Zoom groups that I'm in, they're doing this year's mystery blanket. So... When they're doing that, it felt like a good incentive to get my 2017 one out and get going on it. It's lovely because there's 49 squares. This particular one was to celebrate 10 years of Debbie designing the mystery blanket. I've only done three squares so far, but it's a small portable project and some of the squares are repeated. So I'm actually enjoying going back to just having that sort of little small project on the go. And of course, unlike the previous blankets, which I did in a a better timely fashion. I won't say that I kept quite to the monthly knit along, but the mystery is already revealed for me with this one. I also mentioned I started a jumper and I thought I talked about this before, but I can't find any reference to it anywhere. So I think I've probably mentioned it in other places. It's the Weekender Light by Andrea Maori, and I'm doing it in my own wool, the Paul Dorset and Hebridean mix. And it's a lovely mix of reverse stocking stitch, stocking stitch and rib. And I've really enjoyed the knit. I've got up to the neckline 
Um, the neckline is a rib though. And I, I had done the neckline and started to do one of the sleeves. What I should have done was tried it on before I started the sleeves because the neckline was just too tight. Um, so yeah, I've had to pull that out and I've got to redo that. And then I've just got the two sleeves to do. There's been quite a learning lesson for me here then with this review of all my projects in terms of giving myself quality time for my own creativity and makes so that I can do the more complicated things because I do enjoy them. I just need to do them when I'm a bit more alert. <laughs> Last up then, something a little bit different, creative thinking. At the beginning of the year, I saw an advertisement on Facebook, which is unusual for me because I usually just scroll past them. It caught my eye though, and it was a New World, New You Challenge by Tony Robbins. If you've not heard of Tony Robbins, he's an American author, coach, speaker. He's worked across the globe with people from presidents to elite sports people to people from all sorts of cultures and backgrounds. And he's worked with them on a one-to-one level to hosting stadium events delivering personal and professional development. And I first heard about him about 12 years ago when I was working in that field. And at the time, though, I didn't explore his his training. It was a five-day challenge and it was free to do, although there were some paid options. And yeah, it just seemed to pop up at the right time for me. With the time zone difference, it was on in the evening here and lasted for around four hours each night. Tony Robbins would speak along with invited guests. So you're probably wondering, you know, what what is it that this has got to do with everything else that I'm talking about? Well, it just opened up so much for me. It rang a bell with me. It wasn't about New Year's resolutions. It was about giving myself a kickstart. And it did exactly that. It got me thinking that it was a long time since I'd really challenged my mind in this way, challenged my thinking, challenged my mental skills and just even what I've been talking about with all those neglected projects, you know, that there is a kind of mental aspect to that. Following this challenge, I then signed up for an event called UPW, which is one of his um, very long standing events. And that stands for Unleash the Power Within, which is a four day virtual event. It ran on Eastern time. It was what they call a fully immersive event with each day lasting around 12 hours. So I was pretty much starting around mid-afternoon here and finishing about four or five o'clock in the morning. And it was eating on the hoof. Um, There was only a couple of little breaks, but they weren't um, scheduled any particular time. It really was full on Oh, it's really hard to explain. I could do hours and hours of podcast about it. I've done a lot of learning and creative skills of textiles the past few years, but I hadn't been doing as much learning about myself, which years ago I used to do a lot of, especially when I was teaching it as well. So this really was a look at myself on a personal and a professional business level, what was working, what's not working, why am I achieving some things, why am I not doing others. It explored all those things like limiting self-beliefs and habits that hold us back. A lot of these things I know about but I'd stopped giving attention to and it was that challenge about getting back outside your comfort zone in order to develop really. There was also an emphasis on what we'd learned through the challenges and experiences we'd had of 2020 and creating our own compelling future from that, both personally and professionally. And 
relishing our uniqueness that we bring to everything we do. So it really opened up my mind to things I had long forgotten and to new ways of thinking about being the creator of what I do. Dusting off things that are just not working for you or holding you back. And, you know, I'm definitely a thinker, a big reflector, but it's about thinking about the the things that are going to help you working on the things that are going to better direct you and ultimately give you the the benefits that you're after. So yeah, that, that's been a great mind shift for me. I'm still working on it. I mean, one of the things that Tony Robbins says is even if it's just a two millimetre shift, that rang bells for me too, because when I used to teach coaching and teach all the different skills you know I'd be saying to people I'm teaching you a huge volume of information here even if you just take one thing away and that one thing makes a difference then I've done my job and I liked that there was just that you know just a little two millimeter shift in something you do can improve the outcome it can improve how you feel and so yeah um Lots of creative thinking going on in my little corner of the world at the moment. Dorset buttons and wider news from the TJ Frog pad. Well, since the last episode, the weeks have flown by. And yeah, I'm, I'm pleased that I've actually managed to get this episode out. We had the Spring Sky Willy Meander, which was on the 25th of April, and it sold out, which was amazing. We had a wonderful group of people who joined us. So thank you if you were one of those people who came along. It really was great to be able to share the scenery of Sky and also be joined by Kirsty of Shillersdale, Yasmin at Island at the Edge and Sally from On the Croft, who've all been interviewed on the podcast at various times. And as I mentioned in the section about the weather, we had this amazing footage that we were able to take so that on the events, we took people on a journey. We took them from arriving on Sky around various beauty points to the, the three locations of the, the wool businesses. And I really enjoyed researching it and putting it together And although we did have, or I had a few technical difficulties, everybody was incredibly kind about that. And the feedback was amazing. And we even got asked to to do it again at a different time of year, which was something we had thought about beforehand. But it was wonderful to get that endorsement from the people that had attended. So do look out for an advertisement later in the year, because I've got some ideas of something to put together along those lines of what we did. This week, an opportunity arose through a collaboration with Vogue Virtual Knitting Live and Unravel to have a one-hour marketplace slot for the VKL Superpass ticket holders. So I had a a one-hour virtual slot to talk through my products and give a demonstration. This was quite short notice, although a great event to take part in. And VKL have been running virtual shows now since May last year so they are well established in everything they're putting on with their workshops their lectures their marketplace extras that they have and it was really lovely that uh, 
VKL and Unravel teams came together and created this this opportunity and connection. So thank you very much to them. And many thanks to everybody who has supported me with this. And I hope that all the Superpass ticket holders who will continue to have the opportunity to watch those recordings over the weekend will enjoy what we put together. Unravel then. Ooh, not only a show I'm exhibiting at, but an in-person show. Oh my goodness. I'm going to see real people. <laughs> Unravel takes place in Farnham in Surrey next week. And you might recall that I visited in February last year. And this was originally due to be held in February this year, but uh, that had to be changed. We are now here in the UK, though, facing the most significant shift in easing of restrictions since the very first lockdown last year. And that means that, touch word, I hope I'm not going to jinx this at the last minute, Unravel can take place. It is going to be my first time of exhibiting at the show. And I know it's going to be very different to how the show would normally run. There's less vendors, we're spaced out, there's a one-way system, timed entries and all the relevant COVID restrictions are in place. It's a step forward though. And while there is some apprehension, I am ready to step into this and do this. And I'm very much looking forward to it. The Farnham Maltings is an arts and culture centre and they regularly run markets and events and they were able to run some events last year between lockdowns because they're owners of their own estate so they're in essence like a non-essential shop which are now open so I feel very comfortable with all the procedures that they've adopted and the steps that they've taken to enable events to take place, albeit in a reduced capacity. I know for many other yarn festival and event organisers who use other people's real estate, like conference centres, hotel rooms, village halls, it's not quite so straightforward. Unravel has got a new approach this year, though, and they've got a hybrid event, which I think is fantastic. Personally, I think this is the way ahead. I know that there is Zoom fatigue and some people just really, really don't like being on Zoom and I totally respect that. I also know though that there are people who, for whatever reason, cannot get to events and this virtual opportunity has opened up a whole new world to them. What I didn't mention with the the UPW event I just talked about in the previous section, for me to have done that normally would have cost thousands and thousands of pounds with travel and accommodation and also for the event. Whereas I paid a very nominal fee in the overall scheme of things for it as a virtual event. So I do like that Unravel has adopted this hybrid show and it will be really interesting to see how it is received. I will put the links in the show notes for you to, to have a look what they've got because if you are thinking of joining in, I think there is still an opportunity for you to get a virtual ticket if you're not in the UK or if you're in the UK but you can't get there or don't want to go there. There are virtual workshops, there's virtual talks and there's also virtual vendors. And if you are coming to the in-person show, then your in-person ticket gives you access to all the virtual stuff as well. So I think it's going to be a fantastic event. It does bring a different dynamic, but I think it's a positive move forward. 
Once we get back from our travels then, I've got a couple of local craft fairs. I've also got a couple of pop-up shops organised in Portree, which I'm really excited about because I've not done that before. There's also some online events in the pipeline. More importantly, though, that book of mine is so close to being finished. It has to be. No, not has to be. It is at the top of my list. If by next episode, episode 35 of this podcast, I do not have some solid information for you about that book and when it's going to be out on the streets, you have my permission to all send me an email or a message to tell me off. (laughs) I will leave you with that thought. (laughs) On to the Sky Focus. Back in episode 24 in October 2019, wow, I mentioned our local community shop because it was in the process of being rebuilt and in the meantime it had been relocated to a container a bit further down the road. Like many things, the rebuild of the shop, the post office, the community trust rooms all got put on hold with the pandemic And then when things started to open it up again, of course, there was a backlog of work. So it's all taken much longer. And they could never have foreseen that they were going to spend over a year in this container, which is no mean feat at all. They were only able to have one person, one one customer in the shop at a time because of the, the limited space. And they were also packing up grocery boxes every week being delivered out to people in the community who couldn't get into the shop. And it really can't have been easy for them. And at times it was a cold place as well to be. (laughs) Finally, though, our new rebuilt shop got opened in March and the container is long, long gone. It's a wonderful asset to the community. And if you have visited Sky before and you get to see it again, you're just not going to recognise it. It's totally, totally different. And it's very much going to be a welcome and a a well-stocked place for visitors and for locals to use. And apart from all the usual staple produce we'd expect to find in a a local um, shop, there's locally sourced meat and vegetables and locally grown flowers for sale. And they've also had the funding to set up a refill self-service section for products where you bring along your own container. That is a step in reduction of packaging and plastic waste, which is great. And they've been seeking from the community what they want to see in these containers and they're starting to fill them up now. So we've got things like flowers and nuts and dried fruit and lentils, rice, beans, pasta and even pick and mix. (laughs) And I'm sure over time, we're going to see that range extended. So lovely seeing this opening up just in time for the restrictions easing and opening up again to visitors. Sky Showcase then. Lastly, I bring you an interview, as I mentioned, with Bev of Hans Finner having fun at Broadford. This was a long overdue interview and it really was lovely to catch up with Bev and we recorded this the day before the reopening of her shop. Welcome to the TJ Frog podcast Bev, it's lovely to have you after meaning to have you on here for so long now. (laughs) Thank you for having me, I think I've been trying to avoid (laughs) it. 
Oh, well, it's great to, to finally get here and we are recording the day before you are opening. Yay! Yay! For the 2021 season, the 1st of May. Already just driving around today, it looks like there's a, a few visitors have arrived on the island. They certainly have. Yes. I think they're here for May Day. Of course. <laughs> so I hope that uh, a few of them will pop by and see you as well. So do I. So yeah. do I. We're opening part-time at the moment because of all the changes at the moment. So we'll see how it goes. Optimistic, that's all we can be. Yes. Hans been having fun then. Yes. I remember coming on holiday here back in 2010 and uh, visiting the shop. That was just before yourself, wasn't it? It was. Yes, yeah, so tell us how you came to be the owner of Hans Binner Having Fun and, and what you've been doing with the, the okay. shop in the time. Well, I was uh, had my own business working as an occupational therapist and I decided that I'd been working as an OT for 20-odd years and decided it was time for a change. And I decided I wanted to do a big change in my life, um, besides changing my job to change where I lived. And so uh, myself and my friend were looking at different places throughout the UK. We looked at Glastonbury, we looked at Northumberland. Um, My friend said, "Uh, what about Scotland? And I went, I don't want to live in Scotland. (laughs) And then she said, what about the Isle of Skye? And I went, oh, that sounds good. And at the time, I had a camper van. So I got in my camper van, I came up to Skye. And I got to uh, uh, Kyle and looked across the bridge and just went, I'm coming home. And that's just how it felt. And I I spent a very, very windy, uh, cold, wet uh, week up in Uwe and decided this was a place to be. I went back home and I I hadn't found anything to do because I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, And my friend said she'd seen online that the hand spinner was for sale. And I thought, oh. I can do that. <laughs> so I came up and had a look and I thought, yeah, I can do this. Never being, not being able to spin, uh, never having dyed uh, a ball of wool in my life. Um, I could knit and I could crochet. Uh, and I'd done that since I was, I don't know, 10 or something. And so um, to cut a long story short, got the, got, bought the shop um, and started really and just learnt to spin uh, down in Yorkshire um my dad was uh, a warp twister okay in the mills and uh, he did that all his life he became a foreman and taught other people um so a warp twister basically knots the looms ready for the weavers right uh, my mum was a weaver and my auntie my dad's sister was a weaver so i've always been around fiber and cloth and wool um i come from uh, just outside bradford which has always been yeah. the center of the wool trade yeah. Um, so I kind of felt very comfortable with that. And I thought, I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> and what year was it when you bought the hands? So this is my eighth season. So that would have been, what, 24, 13, 14? Yeah, 13. Somewhere around there. Yeah, 13, 14, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's gone very quickly, yes. very quickly. Um, we had, at this end of the shop, we had the bread shop in there for a couple of years. That's right. And then we had uh, Marigold clothing yes. in for a year. Yeah. And then I decided, actually... Um, the business was kind of sustainable to expand into both halves of the shop. So we expanded. So basically the shop size has doubled since I've had the shop. Um, our product range has expanded hugely. And yeah, we'll, we'll 
it's, it's been it's been an adventure, a great learning curve, lots of things learnt on the way. Yeah, we should say that it's like two shops, but with an interconnecting door, yes. and then yeah. it's uh, an external door that kind of yeah. brings you through this sort of main shop area, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically a tin hut, and over its lifetime, I don't, I've, I can't find out how old this place is, but it must be. I don't know, at least from 40s or 50s. Um, and it's been, had lots of reincarnation. So it's been a, an agricultural store, it's been a grocer's store, it's been a bookshop, it's been a cafe. Oh, it's yes, been the all bookshop. sorts of things. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I forgot about the bookshop. I mean, somebody even told me that at one point this was used as like a church. Okay. And it is actually the right orientation for a church. Yes. With yes. The, that in being the north. So yes. I don't know. I haven't found, um, I haven't gone back, to be fair, to look at plans, but I would be really interested if anybody knows how long this has been here. I'd be very interested to know the history. Yes, yeah. I wonder if anybody knows at the archive centre. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. know, yeah, it, be, it would be good to know. I know next door the hairdressers, that used to be a coffin maker. Oh, and then you've got a gallery just opposite as well. Yes, yeah. yes, yep. Yeah. And a hotel around the corner Absolutely. <laughs> yes. a jewelry shop and <laughs> yes yes so yeah there's lots within the vicinity of people do actually help. come to we should say that you're in broadford so mm-hmm. you know that you can just walk through broadford's not very big but mm-hmm. there are a few nice little gift shops and yeah. places to yeah. to go and to. we've got the old pier so yes. the broadford now has two piers the old pier and the new pier <laughs> uh, we're at old pier road and uh we've got a few fishing boats down here which are very picturesque and we've also got a line kiln down here as well which is a little bit in disrepair but it is still a lime kiln you can tell it's that yeah so back to your spinning then because Mm. that was something that really as you say you you went and learnt because yes Yes. it's kind of in the title of the shop (laughs) you've really just taken off with that though haven't you that's really become something that you've yes really become a very skilled at be really passionate about and really just developed it yeah so I started really um, spinning tops from wool tops which is a pre-prepared fibre lots of different types of fibre pre-prepared and then I kind of expanded into buying raw fleeces and preparing them from scratch which I find very satisfying um, but the time and the the kind of the process just takes so long um, in terms of it's not very profitable. You can't kind of charge actually what it would take to do it. Yes. However, I just find it very satisfying. Yeah. Um, and we've got, I mean, we, obviously Sky is very hilly, so we've got a lot of hill sheep and their fleeces can vary quite greatly yes. <laughs> from, you know, a very kind of tough uh, fibre that, you know, better for rugs. But then, you know, some of the, the kind of younger animals and if they're bred, you know, for their wool, you can get some really nice soft wool off them. Definitely. Um, so I really kind of enjoy that side of things. I also have uh, spun a whole different range of fibres that are not wool. So we've got things like sea cell from seaweed. Okay. And we've got uh, rose fibre from roses. Oh, and lovely. we've got tensile, which is a wood pulp. Yes. So we've got lots of different other fibres that... Yeah. It's been more like silk, actually, without being silk. And yeah, so that's kind of uh, a different way of looking at fibre. They've all got different qualities to wools. And um, have you found people have been using those mainly maybe in like a project, um, you know, perhaps a weaving project or a tapestry or something as opposed to maybe knitting or crocheting? With them? I find people mainly want those who 
who want to avoid any animal products. Right, okay. We have had some customers that seem to feel that shearing a sheep is wrong. Yes. And I just like to say categorically it's not wrong. For their health, they need to be sheared. Some of the older breeds, roo, which means they lose yes. their fleece yes. automatically. Yes. But the majority need to be sheared. Yes. And I think, well, you know, we have some excellent quality wools in this country and we should be using them. Yes. And we shouldn't be burying burying them or, you know, burning them. We should be using them for something, whether it's getting, you know, changed into a fibre that you can use for insulation or, you know, so, for example, if I get a fleece, um, usually it's been skirted, which so the kind of guard hairs and the really rough stuff is yes. off it. Um, and then I will sort it from there before I spin it. So I'll sort it into um, usually the kind of first grade, which is the best for spinning. It'll be the nicest fibre, it'll be the softest, the longest staple length. There'll be the second le- kind of layer of fibres, which will be um, good for, some of it will be good for spinning, but some of it will be good for felting. It might not be quite as nice as the first quality. The third quality I will scour and it'll go for rugs, great for rugs. And then everything else goes for mulch. So every little bit of the fibre of the fleece is actually used. Right. So nothing gets burnt or thrown away or is discarded. Yeah. I know I always get really saddened when I'm driving somewhere and I just see a pile of fleeces just, you know, discarded or, like you say, partly burnt and just then left. But I think it is getting better, I think, certainly. Uh, a huge um, change in people wanting to shop locally, support local yeah. farmers and crofters yeah. and independent businesses who are working yeah. with them to produce wool and have that more kind of sustainable approach. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is it is getting better. It's sort yeah. of turning. And I think as part of that up here, I mean, a lot of the schools kind of, um, Particularly the the uh, junior schools will specialise in being cross schools. Yes. So teaching the crofting skills to children, and I've certainly been involved with some of the you know the junior primary junior schools to you know show them some of the, demonstrate some of the skills of spinning or dyeing wool or you know just using it felting it you know so using the fibres um, that they're seeing on their parents you know yes. crofts and they can do something with them then. And what about hand dyeing then? Because that was something that was new to you as well, wasn't it? It was, yes. (laughs) Well, the previous owner gave me a a kind of half hour uh, tutorial. (laughs) And then I went away and did something completely different. No, no. (laughs) Um, So I I started dyeing in a a shed at the end of the shop, um, which was very cold and very drafty. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. (laughs) It was over an old uh, cast iron bath. And there was no light in that shed. So the dying was a bit by, kind of more like look than management. Um, but now we've actually integrated a small dying area in the shop. Yes. So it only consists of two Burko boilers and a, um, a spin dryer. You know, it's, you don't need anything, no. you know, high tech. And within that, you know, on an average season, I'll probably do, I don't know, 30, 40 kilos of wool in that kind of setup yes you can just do it with a microwave and a jug you yes. really don't need a lot of equipment and again I dye any fiber that comes my way really um so I've dyed silk and some of the protein fibers like the sea cell and um obviously wools lots of different wools and they all have their different characteristics so it always amazes me if you if I put three different wools in the Burko boiler, put my dye in, they will come out different. Yes, yes. And you think, well, how can that be? Because it's all the same yes. kind of wool and it's all in the same boiler. 
It just um, always fascinates me the, the way that colours bleed and um, change depending on the heat and the amount of time it's in there. I just find it fascinating. It, it, it gives me great joy to bring out these different <laughs> colours. That's the thing. I'm not very good at kind of the consistency, though. <laughs> you just, if, you, if you're wanting to buy a jumper quantity, you buy what you see at the time. <laughs> exactly, yes. Buy enough fiber to finish your project, yes. We've heard about your journey then, from being an occupational therapist, living down in Yorkshire, mm-hmm completely relocating Mm -hmm. a totally new career Mm -hmm. and learning new skills and then like so many of us last year our worlds got turned upside down with the the pandemic and many people found they were unable to work or their businesses had to close or be you know limited in what they could do and that was something that happened with, with your shop, classes, a sort of non-essential shop. Yeah. And you found yourself back at that sort of journey, albeit not in Yorkshire, yep. still on Sky, mm-hmm. and you went back to occupational therapy. I did, yes, full circle, really. So I was working at the local hospital at Broadford and in the community. It was interesting to experience it again after being out of it for a while. Yes. Um, it felt good to be part of kind of a community response to the, the change in circumstances. And I think it was very important to try to support local communities. And it was very interesting to see how much support there is on Sky for local communities. Amazing. Yeah. yeah it, it is. I think we're very well served with that. Yes, definitely. Um, the other thing that from the shop we always have a every week we normally have a U time, which is a, a knit and natter group, and that's run ever since the shop has opened. And I think we've missed kind of a couple of weeks over Christmas every year, so we've now gone online uh, with that. Um, some people are not keen on it online. No, it's um, not for everybody. It's not for everybody. However, we've seemed to have you know developed a little core of people who you know, just get together. It is now once a fortnight, um, but at least we get together and see each other. Um, We did for a short period, we were able to meet at um, the local community centre. So that was limited numbers, but we we rotated our (laughs) our U-time members. Um, But again, it was really nice to to kind of, um, you know, support people in that way, really. The other kind of uh, job that I did was actually set up my website better, um, I'd had a web- website all the time, but now it's actually got things on it. <laughs> um, and I, being an occupational therapist, you know, I've always been very aware and I trained with the idea that the process of creativity is really important to mental health. Yes. And I think that has been very, very true throughout all this. Um, I think the the actual... It's not the end product that the importance is, it's the actual doing of it. It's that losing yourself in something that is um, positive for you, it's, self, it's fulfilling for you. You don't have to kind of be anything or please anybody else. Mm. It's about your process. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's the whole sensory experience. Yes. You know, whether you're um, a knitter or a spinner or an embroiderer or making jewellery, whatever it is, it's the experience of kind of having an idea and then gathering the materials, feeling the use of them and then creating something, which is very personal. Yes. Um, and I just think it's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of people through all these kind of lockdown times yes. by, you know, having that control when every other control has been taken away from you. Mm. 
Um, so it's been really good to kind of be part of that process. Yes. I'm very much a process knitter. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I find sometimes that it is just that physical next stitch next stitch you know that is all I'm focusing on yeah I'm totally in that moment with that stitch um I do like though being what I'd call that kind of slight difference from making to creating you know getting my mind kind of just thinking a little bit more around what's it going to look like Mm. where where's the stitch going Mm. um and I think I've found myself being comforted by doing creative projects and making over this time but I know as well that some people kind of completely lost their mojo too with their creating and making and it's a fine balance isn't it Mm. because sometimes something that we absolutely loved that Mm. did provide us with comfort then for some reason doesn't and I think maybe it links in a little bit to something you touched on there is sometimes we just expect too much of ourselves Mm. and that actually if we just step back and and not have that expectation of the final perfect mm. finished project, mm. which probably is where the sort of long scarf comes in, you know. Yeah. Let's just yeah. keep doing it and, yeah. and take that pressure off ourselves. And I mean, I, I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here now. Maybe that's why sometimes some of us were losing that mojo to actually knit again because it was oh you know I'm knitting socks I'm knitting a cardigan Mm, I'm mm. making a rug I've got to get that skein finished and and actually it can just be being playful and um you know I I did a few art courses throughout lockdown which I've spoken about on the podcast before and it's years since I've done art but I just so enjoyed almost kind of like digging into that inner child and just doing stuff that I Mm. wouldn't normally do Mm and breaking down my perfectionism and so I think that's where some of that mental health and creativity link Mm. sometimes it's just that exploratory process but without that sort of end Mm. kind of defined um, pressure yeah does that make sense yes it does yeah 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 I mean for me it's about process yeah 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 and I think you know we were just talking before this podcast about sometimes in lockdown you've got too much time to think yes yes (laughs) whereas you know you know your normal daily life may be you know just list of tasks to get through um and then suddenly it kind of comes to a stop and you think oh I've got all this space and it's then about watching what your thoughts are doing yes and you're being aware of those thoughts yes and that can you know uh, increase your awareness of how your kind of mind processes work and it can be quite negative if you get into this negative spiral of we're never going to get out of this and Mm. you know this has gone wrong that's gone wrong and you kind of dig yourself in deeper just the distraction of a very simple pattern and making the next stitch yes can be very helpful and you can almost use it as a cognitive technique to put a positive thought with each stitch which is that mindfulness knitting stuff yeah so I like that which it can be yeah it's hard to get your head round and to shift your kind of mindset but if you can kind of you know put a positive thought with each stitch you know I am blessed or you know everything's going to be fine or whatever it is. The sun is is shining today. Yeah yeah something positive that you see in your room it doesn't have to be anything big but it's just getting through those kind of those really tough days. I mean you know I've had a lot of tough days this last year for lots of different reasons. I mean I believe I'm very lucky about with the situation I'm in with the shop and where I'm at 
And I know there's a lot of people that are, you know, having it really, really mega tough out there. Yeah. So it's just a case of trying to just shift that kind of thinking to something, bringing it back into what you, you what you see, what you touch, what you feel, mm. and taking some joy from that. Yes. And not having some periods of time where you're not worrying about the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're saying, isn't it, that control the control the controllables yeah <laughs> we just yeah. do uh, teach that in training and and it's something you know i i know i'm guilty of sometimes you're worrying about the things that you you have no control yeah. about at all yeah. and that's not to um devalue in any way those thoughts because they're very real yeah um, yeah but it is when you're you're sat at home what can you do that yeah. might just help you even for five minutes and i like what you're saying about each stitch putting a positive thought into each stitch that's really lovely yeah, it can be used as a meditation, definitely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, life is a mystery, and that's the thing. Totally. You know, we, we, we assume certain things. We assume certain things are going to happen in life. Yes. And I think what a lot of us have been faced with recently is we really don't know. Yeah, that rug was just totally pulled Completely. from beneath us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, you know, in, in kind of in this last lockdown, you know, people were saying, oh, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I can get to maybe the end of the week. I can't think further than that. Mm. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know whether we're going to go into a third lockdown or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's living and feeling okay with that level of uncertainty. Yes. And that can be really tough. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. we want stability. We want to know. We want control. Yes. And sometimes we, you know, as we've been faced with, we can't control what's out there, but we might be able to control the next crochet stitch or the next knit stitch or just the next project to do, you know. And you're wearing today... Yes. <laughs> is that a lockdown project? It, is. <laughs> it looks very cozy. It is lovely. And it's very colourful. Describe what you're what you're wearing. Uh, it's a poncho, in essence. I created this from some uh merino roving, some mohair, some fancy dye cottons, some hand spun corridale, I think that is. Wow. Some woolen cotton and then some hand spun yarn as well. It's a whole mixture. It's kind of stripy and it's in pinks and creams and it's very colourful. And I have to say, usually with ponchos, you kind of get a draft at your back. But I have to say, this is gorgeous. (laughs) I'm biased. It looks very (laughs) cosy. Well, the thing is, because when I started to do all this, I then bought a shop and just got busy. So actually, creativity for me was just about doing the shop stuff. And actually, this lockdown, I've managed to finish a cardigan. Um, I have knitted this, and um, West Yorkshire Spinners brought out a botanicals throw, yes. which is 16 squares of, they call it fair tarsia and strand tarsia. So it's a bit like fair isle. Yes. Um, and then you put a border around it. And I've done all 16 squares, Brilliant. and they're nearly sewn together, <laughs> and then the border's going on. So I've actually had time to do things that I wouldn't normally do, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I've also been uh, spinning. Some friends of mine have started a business called Crafty Fibres, and they do kind of more exotic fibres. So I've been spinning some fibres for their website. So that's been cashmere, it's been alpaca, it's been alpaca and silk, it's been camel and silk. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful fibres. So I've been spinning those as well, so you'll see those on their website. (laughs) So in terms of getting ready for shop opening, (laughs) how's that gone? 
remarkably smoothly I have to say um usually at this time of year we get um literally kind of a couple of hundred of garments back knitted garments that have gone out to the knitters over the winter so they need kind of checking and washing if need be and blocking or pricing all that kind of stuff and because of um the whole kind of lockdown pandemic thing we haven't had to do that because we didn't put anything out for knitting last year Mm. so actually we've had more time to actually look at the shop and just make it kind of a little bit more easy to clean because we've got a very uh, busy shop with lots of different things in it there's lots to see here so it's a case of trying to make sure that it's easy to see without having to kind of rifle through things to get yes. to the back of them yeah do you want to minimize how much people are touching <laughs> yes i mean you've got lots of knitting crochet spinning textile creative accessories haven't yeah. you like your yarn bowls and different notions and things and then you've got kits yep wools various finished yep. products yes and as you say the the hand-knitted jumpers which is always lovely to see because you you have return customers who come here specifically yes. every year, don't you, yes. to buy their jumper? Yes, you know, which is amazing. It's really we have good. people turning up and saying, "I bought this from the shop about ten years ago. Can I have another one?" <laughs> and they usually find something. Yeah. You know, we we've got quite an extensive range of knitwear. A lot of our customers are from the continent and from America, and that's going to be a change this year because I think a lot of the customers we have this year will be from the UK yeah but yeah we have some lovely sweaters we've gone we've done some uh, fair isle sweaters we've got some ganses we've got some arons which are hand spun mm. wools from the island oh lovely um so yeah we we do kind of more traditional designs we don't go for high fashion lots of different reasons however I do think that the, the our sweaters last that's, they're, they're, that's they're classic thing. aren't they they're, <clears throat> they're timeless classic. they are they're warm they're functional they are. and they, they look very good you know yeah. you've got lovely stitch yeah. texture work in yeah. them yeah they just last and I think that's the key to fashion and textiles I think we've got to really move away from wear it twice stick it in the washer chuck it in the bin mm-hmm. I think we have to look for enduring clothing that is less polluting in terms of its manufacture, its sourcing and its manufacture, and something that will, you know, keep us warm. And the, the wools that just, there's nothing as warm as wool. Yeah. I mean, I, I just have to mention at this point, um, Outlander. Oh. I know, <laughs> can I just say, because I read a quote um, from the uh, people that were kind of doing all the costumes for Outlander. And so they, a lot of Outlander was shot kind of around this area, kind of in the Highlands. And they... Uh, people the characters were very worried that they were going to be cold because they were dressed in the traditional woolen tweeds and knitwear that they would have been around at that period in time yeah I think the um set designers and costume designers went to a great deal of trouble to try and make the costumes as authentic as possible they were saying that actually they were warm enough yes whereas you know the the crew were in kind of the modern synthetics and you know cagoules and whatever but the the actual you know actors were warm enough in the yes. wool because wool is such a great yes. fibre for keeping warm and not holding the wet. It dries quite quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. historically, mountaineers were wearing yeah. tweeds and wools, weren't exactly. they? You yeah. know, when they went uh, to the North Pole, yes. they were wearing them. So, yeah. Talking of uh, wool then, have you got a favourite breed? Favourite breed? Oh. Whether that's to be to knit it or it or even just to look at the sheep <laughs> I think we all have that sheep that we think is, is the, the cutest or the you know the one we just really love you know their features and their fleece to look yes. at yes 
I I am a bit of a, a lover of blue face Lester, I have to say. Okay. Um, I think the wool dyes really well. It's really nice to spin. Yes. Um, it comes in a good kind of few neutral colours that you can put together. Yeah. Um, it's very soft. I can wear that against my skin. Yes. I find it a very versatile wool. Yeah, it's lovely to knit with. Yeah. yeah. It's just nice yeah. to work with. It's just easy. Yeah. I find it very easy wool. The good, it's a good staple length for spinning. Yes. You know, um, yeah. And... You know, we do get blue face lesters up here, not so much on Sky because they're a bit heavy for the land, but certainly towards Inverness, mm. there's some blue face lester sheep. Yeah, I think that's my favourite, really. <laughs> and of the exotics, uh, what I call exotic kind of things for kind of outside this, we have a really nice blend um, of uh, uh, mohair. Again, my, my friend has, uh, they buy the mohair clip from the UK, and I got some of the spin. And it's just beautiful to spin. It spins like silk. Mm -hmm. It's not the kind of scratchy mohair that yeah. you kind of think of, you know, these bad kind of sweaters where yes. they're kind of a bit scratchy. It's just gorgeous. We've plied some with some merino and it's just a beautiful blend. Very good. <laughs> I like doing the unusual. Yes. You know, I, yeah. I, I struggle to kind of keep doing the same thing, as you yes. probably heard. Um, <laughs> I like to do some different blends and, and try different things yeah. and put kind of unusual blends together. Yeah. And in terms then, you mentioned the, the website. Yes. So can people buy from the website? They can. Yes, we have a web shop which has uh, hand spun wools on it from lace weight through to super chunky. We have some hand dyed wools on it and we've got some of the knitwear, some of the felted items. We've got kits, we've got our pattern books. We've got pretty much all the shop on the website now. Brilliant. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a massive project, massive project. But we still have some kind of lovely things in the shop that are not on the website. That's yes. just to come and see in the shop. Yes, yeah. Also, when you're getting something unique or mm. um, it's just been made in a very limited run, yes. you know, that sort of thing, is, yeah. it doesn't always work putting it online, does it? And it's nice no. to... And it, I think that's what's clarified things for me because, you know, when I can't have a stock for the shop and a stock for the web shop, it's too difficult to do. So now it's thinking, well, if it's going to go on the web shop, I need enough of it. Yes. And it has to be a regular product. So yes. that's, that's changed my, my buying for the shop and my manufacturing for the shop. Yes. There'll always be things here that are going to be one-offs. Yes. <laughs> Managing those stock levels can be um, a balance at times. <laughs> Without going to a lot of money to barcode everything. And I don't want to barcode anything. Yeah. That's not this shop. No, no, no. And, and at the moment, um, it's, it's lovely because there is so much... It's a very visual shop, I think it that's is. what I'm trying to say. You know, there's so much colour, there's so much out on display mm. and, uh, yeah, your, your kind of cones of yarn and your mm. fabrics and your um, skeins that are hanging down. You know, like you say, it's not necessarily stuff that's kind of all... If I say orderly, that sounds wrong, like it's not... But it's, it's not that you want lots of labels on things because stuff yeah. is is lovely arranged in its own area isn't it without yeah. all being sort of uh, I want people up. to come in and kind of go oh I've not seen that before what yes. can I do with that yes not I'm not kind of very much of I want this pattern and I want this wool to go with it I mean that's great and we do have that but I'm also about people kind of going oh let's try something different yes I've not tried that I've not seen that before oh how could I use that fiber so sometimes we have felters come in and you know I'll say have you tried this have you tried we have some um, silk cocoons that have been unwound. 
you know, have you tried felting that into something? Mm. Oh, I've never seen that. I've never thought of that. And just to, just to try and, you know, give something okay. a little bit different, really. You're almost challenging, in a positive way, the, the creative mm. process in the person to maybe think a little bit differently with the, yeah. all the different textile elements that you have in here, yeah. how they could incorporate them into their project. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back, doesn't it, to what we were talking about a, I touched on that, kind of bringing more of that inner child out from ourselves, just mm. having a go at all the yeah. stuff. Yeah. But also, it's kind of challenging ourselves, but not in a final, perfect project, but just thinking, oh, yeah, I haven't tried that before. Mm. Let me try mm. something new, because mm. I can. Yeah. And it's worth doing. Yeah. It's worth taking that step into the unknown. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wish you the very best for the forthcoming season and when this goes out it will go out in a couple of weeks well yeah just under two weeks time so Mm -hmm. you'll have had your first two weeks of uh opening indeed and uh, i'm sure there will be people coming in to see you and probably regulars who've been dying to come back who couldn't come here last year and you know wanting to come and see what you've done and what new things you've got in for them um, I'm sure you know you will get lots of uh, new people as well finding you. Yes, well, um, we're a safe space and a nice space, and we're very gentle, and we want people to feel kind of, you know, at home here and comfortable. Because I think at the moment there's a thing about going into shops where, if people haven't been out before, they're mm-hmm. kind of a bit worried about the whole thing of going into a shop, and uh, I think it it feels it can feel quite unsettling. Yes. Um, and we've tried to make the shop still feel quite, you know, welcoming. Yes. Um, I think the biggest thing in here is social distancing. Yes. Um, the ventilation's never an issue. <laughs> <laughs> We're tin hooked. The windows don't fit, you know what I mean? But you've created that kind of space, haven't you, where people can move yeah. around things, you know, yeah. they're, they're not sort of um, being blocked off or yeah. anything. They've yeah. got space to move around and see. Yeah. Yeah. See what they've... Uh, what they've got so what's the next project for you on the needle or the wheel or the crochet hook <laughs> well my next project on the wheel to be completed is I'm spinning some silk and uh grey alpaca and I'm going to make a kind of an i-cord an i-cord kind of um scarf come necklace okay because the fibre spins almost as a humbug and it's quite shiny, it's quite decorative um, I think that'd look quite good um, my friend made uh, something similar, so I'm doing my take on it, um, so that's kind of on the wheel come needles and I'm finishing my blanket, that's what I'm doing <laughs> and then for the for the shop itself is going to be more kits this year mm-hmm. um, different uh, felting kits and some more different, different, different knitting kits yes. as well, yes that's the kind of thing for this year yes yeah I think we all love a kit I think we all love you know it's it's got everything in there that you need you can pick it up put it down quite easily and and uh, you know that's that other extreme from picking up lots of things and just having a go you Mm. you've got everything there organized and if you just want to literally do that next thing it's there and you can see what the creative end looks like exactly Um, yeah yeah there's room for it all yes exactly and I think uh, that's important as well that people a have got 
access to all these different materials but b they can come into a shop but there is the online yeah. as well yeah. for people even though you know we still want to see each other mm. we have got both yeah. um and i think in some ways there is a, a positive thing to come out of this in that some people who perhaps could never go to a place or visit a yarn festival or mm. come maybe to your shop they've they have got more um accessibility to places online now which is great you know and I hope that that does continue I hope that we carry on a bit with this hybrid because it has opened up a lot of doors for people and you know even myself who would still rather be at yarn shows in person I've been part of some amazing virtual things and found access to online shops that maybe I wouldn't have explored or looked for before so I think that hybrid is is here to stay. I think so, particularly for up here, because I think, you know, we are a bit in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) You have to come a long way to come to us. Um, So it is nice to be able to get, you know, my product range out to more people. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of love for Sky out there as well. So, uh, you know, that's... uh, And we're always on the phone. So, like, you know, if, if, if people have, you know, are not sure what to order in terms of if it is a hand spun wool, because it does work differently yes. to a machine spun for various different reasons you know they can always give us a call and we, we're here to advise and we're yes. here to kind of you know guide people in the right direction to a creative project I mean I'm always amazed every year at how many people come in and say right I want to do a project I don't know what I want to do I just want to do a project <laughs> which a corner of the well. shop do we start in <laughs> yeah exactly you're going to kind of help them just narrow it down to really what they want to do but it's good because it kind of it gets that thing about ideas and just kind of you know it almost feels like um, an offering of like a smorgasbord of kind of different ideas yes. and choose what you know where you're comfortable and where you want to start I'm talking about starting we will be back with the workshops as well this year so in the shop we can do either one-to-one or a two-to-one yes. because there's enough space to do that here um, if it's in a bigger group we'll go into one of the community centres when they open up yes but they will be happening again. Yes. So that can be kind of spinning, felting, knitting, crochet. Yeah. A whole range of different things. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yes. Well, I will put a link in the show notes to your details so people can find their way and have a look at what you've got. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bev. And as I say, I wish you all the best for the season. And uh, great to finally uh, catch you on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Bev is a great example of wanting a change in life, in both career and location, and taking that leap of faith. Bev mentioned about getting to the Sky Bridge on the mainland and just feeling like she was coming home. And that really got to me. I really felt that when she was talking about it. And the bridge is quite a feature. It really sweeps over the sea, connecting Kyle of Lockhouse on the mainland to Kailakan on Sky. And in the show notes, you'll find a photograph that I took back in February from a place called The Plock up in Kyle and it's a fantastic vantage point to look out over sky and it's a view that I particularly love. I really liked it when Bev was talking about having a positive thought with each stitch when maybe we're not feeling in a particularly good place and yes as we said those things are difficult to do it's like exercise for the mind. I was listening back to the recording I did with Bev though when I was doing the the editing for it and I could visualize myself in the moment with knitting knitting in my hand, saying positive thoughts, either out loud or in my mind, things I'm grateful for in my life. And it really gave me an inner sense of 
warmth, I suppose, for want of a better word, a feeling of acknowledging what is good. And I could really feel just, you know, a little minute shift in how I was feeling. So there's definitely something to be said for that. And another great reminder in what is Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK. Another episode is over then and I very much hope that you are all keeping well and that you have lots of projects to keep you going and I look forward to joining you again next month and I would like to feel that I have used my creative thinking to work out how to plan in time to get those more complicated projects finished and off my needles. I will report back to you. Take care. Bye for now. In the meantime, you can find the show notes on the website at tjfrog.co.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch, either drop me a line at tanya at tjfrog.co.uk or via the contact page on the website or on Facebook and Instagram as tjfrogsky and Twitter as tjfrogmates. The music is by Ron Paintant and is licensed from Melody Loops and called One Frog for a Prince. Bye for now, until next time.